Lord, we want to be those who bring glory to you. And so this evening we pray that our hearts and our minds might be that prepared soil ready to receive the seed of your word. And not just to receive it, but to nurture it and bring it to bear fruit. So Lord, we pray for that work of your spirit to prepare our hearts and minds and warm us to receive your word and to give you glory, for we ask it in your precious name. Amen. I wonder um, how you learned to pray, or how you're learning to pray. I can remember listening to others pray when I first became a Christian. I became a Christian at a church in the Midlands and quickly discovered after I was there on a Sunday that going to the midweek prayer meeting was a thing that was good to do as well. So I went along. I discovered that that evening involved uh, a talk by the vicar. And then we came to a time of prayer and we were invited to pray out loud in response to what we'd heard from God's word. Um, just pray short prayers on the basis of what we'd heard. And then later on, we'd move to a time of intercession where we'd bring the needs of the world, the needs of the church, the needs of the people around us before God in prayer. Again, praying out loud to lead others. And I remember being both in awe of and envious of those who seemed to be able to pray so freely and so easily and confidently. It was like they really knew God. They had a familiarity with prayer that made me long for that relationship with God that they had. Not fancy words, but heartfelt, serious prayer. Taking words from scripture and turning them into prayer. Taking the needs of the world and bringing them before the God who listened and cared for the world. And I think that's how I learned to pray, listening to others do it so much better than I could. Well, one of the remarkable things about our passage this evening is that we are listening in to the Son of God, Jesus, talking with his Heavenly Father and our Heavenly Father. We've got to be able to learn something from that, haven't we? And what's more, he's talking about us and he's praying for us most of the time when the gospels uh, talk about Jesus praying it's to say that he went off to pray somewhere quietly or just occasionally we hear a very brief prayer as he prays for someone else for their healing or something but tonight we get to hear Jesus pray at length and as we'll see in a moment Jesus prays aloud for a reason. He has a very clear reason for praying aloud. So as we listen to Jesus' prayer, we're going to ask three questions. How does Jesus pray? How does Jesus talk about us when he talks to his Father about us? And how does Jesus pray for us? What is it that he asks his Father for? So... Um, Keep your Bibles open, but some of the uh, verses will be on the screen. First of all, how does Jesus pray? Well, in that upper room, remember that's where he is, on the night before he would be betrayed, Jesus prays aloud in front of his disciples. Verse 13 tells us it's so that they could hear him. 
and so that they could learn. I'm coming to you now, Father, he says, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. So Jesus prays aloud to his Father so that we too can listen in to learn and be encouraged. John, the gospel writer, was there, wasn't he, in that upper room. He heard it. By God's grace and goodness, we've got it recorded. And Jesus wants it to be encouraging for us. He wants us to know the full measure of his joy by understanding what it is that he prays. Think of those disciples gathered with Jesus in the upper room. Things are about to get difficult, aren't they? They're about to get very confusing. And he wants them to be prepared. And part of that is that they might know his joy in the midst of all the coming confusion of his death, his resurrection, his departure from them, his ascension. And the joy that he talks about will come as they understand who they are and what lies before them as they share a relationship with him. This prayer is about the reassurance of faith and God's purposes. And as they hear that in this prayer, he prays that it will give them that solid ground, that joy to stand on as things get difficult. And for us as well, as we read it, as we listen in, it's that joy, that assurance, that solid ground in the midst of all of our trials and confusions and sufferings that come our way that we don't understand in the world. But these things that we're about to hear in his prayer will give us certainty and firm ground to stand on. And we know that Jesus doesn't just pray in the upper room. That verse that's on the screen from Hebrews 7 reminds us that Jesus continues to pray for us. He ever lives to intercede for us. Presumably, he's praying for us in a similar way to the way that we read here in John 17. So we see how Jesus prays. How does Jesus talk about us to his Father? We love to know what people think of us, don't we? What they say about us when we're, we're not there. So, as Jesus talks to his heavenly Father, that's worth listening to. And surprisingly, he talks about us, firstly, as God's gift to him, and secondly, as those who bring him glory. Let's have a look at what he says in verse 6. Every Christian believer is the precious property of Jesus Christ, a gift to him from his Father. We're comfortable, aren't we, of thinking of Jesus as God's gift to us. We talk in those terms at Christmas, the greatest gift of all, God sends his Son into the world, our Saviour. And he is that. But how often do we think of ourselves as the Father's gift to Jesus? It sounds a little bit presumptuous, doesn't it? So before you go out and get a t-shirt made with God's gift written on it, let's, uh, let's have a look at these verses. Jesus says, I have revealed you, Father, to those you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. And then again in verse eight, I gave them the words you gave to me and they accepted them. 
They knew with certainty that I came from you. They believed you sent me. So who's Jesus, who is Jesus talking about when he talks about them as being God's gift to him? Well, it's those who have heard his words and responded to him in faith. They are the people that have been given to him as a gift from his father. It's what the Bible sometimes calls election. How is it that you and I are here this evening, praying, praising, listening to the word of God? Well, it isn't because we're wiser, cleverer than others out in the world. Christianity is a revealed faith. It's the work of God in our hearts and minds that draws us to Christ. And the Bible tells us that, that it's because God has chosen us from out of the world, he has opened our eyes, he has warmed our hearts to respond to Jesus. And in particular to the words that Jesus came to bring about himself and his identity. They knew with certainty, Jesus says, that I came from you and they believed you sent me. God moves us to respond to Jesus. His spirit works in us. And it's in that sense that we are God's gift to Jesus. And there's a mystery in all that that uh, theologians and commentators spill gallons of ink over. But it's just a very simple, liberating truth that every Christian believer can know. We don't belong to God, we don't belong to Jesus by our own efforts. We don't earn salvation. The church is made up of those whom God the Father has given to God the Son. And Jesus is pleased to not only just receive us as a gift, but more than that, he was willing to give up his life to rescue us from the consequences of our sin. We're not our own. We belong to Christ, given to him as a gift from the Father. And there's a real practical and pastoral implication in that. Because God owns us and Jesus claims us as a gift from God, you and I can rest utterly secure in our relationship with him. Every Christian believer has a solid and secure identity. You can wake up each morning and look in the mirror and say to yourself, I am a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. It's a solid identity because it isn't in your hands. It's in the hands of God the Father and God the Son. God has chosen you and Jesus has received you gladly as that precious gift from his Father. Our Lord has hold of me and you much more tightly than we have hold of him. There's a wonderful verse in the Psalms which says this, my soul clings to you, God. Your right hand shall uphold me. We cling to God, but stronger still is God's right hand that will uphold us and hold us fast. We are God's gift from the Father to the Son. We're held secure 
in that identity and that relationship. And then secondly, Jesus says that his disciples are those who have brought him glory. All I have is yours, he says, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them, verse 10. That's surprising, isn't it, when we think about who Jesus is talking about, who's in that upper room with him. Not the post-Pentecost powerful preachers that the apostles became. No, in the room with him, as he prays for them, are those faint-hearted followers who would forsake him and flee in his hour of need. And yet, Jesus says, glory has come to me, not will come to me, glory has come to me through them. How on earth did that happen? Well, verse eight tells us that it's the simple act of having believed the words that Jesus spoke about himself. They believed that you sent me. Faith, small as a mustard seed maybe, but faith in the right direction in the right person, in Jesus Christ. Jesus is glorified then and now by his people believing in him and the words that he speaks. If you've got your Bibles open, look back um, just two or three verses to verses two and three of John chapter 17. Jesus is starting to pray at the end of his earthly ministry. And he says, Father, the time has come, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. You granted him authority over all people, and this is the key bit, that he may give eternal life to all those whom the Father has given him. Jesus prays that the Father will glorify the Son. And it's as we trust Jesus that we become part of the answer to Jesus' prayer for himself as well as his prayer for us. You and I glorify Jesus when we own his name, when we say, yes, Lord, I I do believe in who you say you are. We glorify him when our faith grows. We glorify him when we joyfully obey him and his words. We glorify him when we're willing to suffer for him and to serve him. Isn't that wonderful that Jesus can say of his people, weak and frail though we are, glory has come to me through them. Think about that next time you're finding obedience or faith or just living the Christian life tough. Next time temptation is strong. Choosing to follow Christ isn't just about your own joy and contentment in Christ. It's actually about bringing glory to Christ. It brings him glory in the courts of heaven before the throne of the Father. It brings him glory on earth as we witness to our faith and trust in him by living our lives faithfully for him. I hope you find that as encouraging as I do. We're God's gift. Every Christian believer is the Father's gift to Jesus. And glory comes to Jesus as we believe in him. That's how Jesus talks about us before the Father. But what about how Jesus prays for us? 
Well, two things he prays. He prays for our protection and he prays for our purification. What about our protection? What does God's protection look like? I wonder if your minds quickly go to practical protection of your health and safety or the health and safety and well-being of the people you love. I've got some uh, reassuring news for you this evening. Um, As those who are going to be administering communion, we are going to be using foam hand sanitizer because of the coronavirus. We will be thoroughly hands cleansed as we uh, break the bread. Is that the kind of protection? Lord, we don't want to be ill. Please save us from illness. We're good at praying for that kind of thing, aren't we? We're good at praying for safety in travel, for good health. We pray for our mission partners and their safety. But it's interesting at Powerline last month, Leslie-Anne Clegg pointed out that one of our mission partners, James Sherwood, in his prayer letters, never asks that we pray that way for him. Even though he travels in some high-risk areas, some spiritually hostile parts of the world where he goes to train Christian pastors. No, his prayer is always for the work that he's there to do, that God would bless the teaching and training of pastors so that the church would grow and be built up in those places. Jesus' prayer for our protection is similarly a prayer for spiritual well-being. It's a prayer for spiritual protection. Firstly, he prays that his disciples won't fall apart and become disunited when he leaves them. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name. When Jesus talks about that name, it's shorthand for everything that God has revealed about his character and his purposes. And while Jesus was physically with them, he was able to teach them constantly point them to God's character, bring them back from misunderstanding, teach them his purposes, keep them safe. God, his name, was there in the midst of them, in the person of Jesus. But when the time comes for Jesus to be physically taken away, to be crucified, raised, and then to ascend to his Father, well, that time's going to be fraught with danger for the disciples. There'll be confusion fear, potential for misunderstanding and despair. It's all likely to lead the disciples to scatter and no longer be one. Dark forces will come and attack that young church of Jesus Christ and attempt to break it up once Jesus has left. So Jesus prays to his Father that as he leaves them, God will continue to be present to protect them. And he prays, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. Father, keep them spiritually safe. Keep them together in me. There's a real intimacy, isn't there, about Jesus' relationship with his disciples that we read in the Gospels. He's with them daily. He cares for them. He teaches them. He prays for them. He protects them. They're able to be one 
around him, gathered around him. How will that intimacy be sustained when he's no longer physically with them? Well, part of the Bible's answer to Jesus' prayer, part of God's answer, is that God has given us his Holy Spirit who causes us to cry out, Abba, Father, to know God, to be with us and near us as our Father. The Spirit who teaches and reassures us that we're God's children and that we belong to him through Jesus Christ. And the Spirit also helps us to pray. God has given us prayer as a means by which we can draw near to God, to enjoy fellowship with Jesus, even though he's not physically with us. I've just had the luxury of being away on retreat with a group of other Southwark clergy. It's a strange group. I was the only normal one. (laughs) Each morning was based around a Bible reading. We went to the chapel after breakfast and I had a Bible reading followed by a long time of silence, a couple of hours of silence in which to respond quietly and to pray. Electronic devices were banned during these times. It was just you, God, and the gift of prayer. It's very countercultural, isn't it, to just do nothing other than be with God. But I come away from that week refreshed and feeling renewed and joyful in faith. Those times of quiet were really precious and spiritually rich. Now, I know that we don't all have the privilege of uh, going away for a week like that, but how often, I wonder, are you just with God in the silence? Where you've read God's word and you want to take it away and just reflect on it and be with him. I really do commend it to you. Lizzie did text me during the week to say, Mick, how's the retreat going? I said, it's great, I think I'm going to be a monk. That's worn off. But do you make use of the privilege of prayer? It's God's gift to you. It might not be a week on retreat, but what about marking out an hour every so often? Read a Bible passage and then be quiet for an hour. Talk to me if you'd like help with that. I'd love to talk some more about about it. Jesus prays for our spiritual protection that we will remain close to him in the world, that we'll remain one with him. He's given us his spirit and he's given us prayer to enjoy fellowship and closeness with him. And then finally, how does Jesus pray for us? Well, he prays, Father, purify them or sanctify them as the NIV translates it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus has already prayed, because we've just seen, haven't we, that the Father won't take the disciples out of the world, but he'll protect them, us, while we're in it. There is work for us to do in the world. We're not meant to retreat into a, a holy huddle, but that we're to live and witness to Jesus in the world and be active about that. But as we do it, that we'll be protected and purified by the truth. We can face similar uh, but different pressures to the disciples, can't we? We face a constant daily battle to choose Christ 
over the world, to choose to remain in him and stand up as his people. And we can become very unpopular if we do that. We'll face opposition when we stand up for Jesus Christ and what we believe to be the truth about him. And yet it's the truth about him that purifies us and sanctifies us. We know what it's like to feel that clash of cultures, don't we, when we watch TV or when we're on social media or we read a novel or a, or a magazine. We quickly feel that, that crash, that clash of culture and belief. And the temptation is for us to drift, to go the way of the world, just little by little. The world that constantly barrages us with a different view of things. But Jesus says, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. He prays that we'll be in the world, but not of it. That we'll be in the world, but shaped by him and his words, not by the world. That we'll be distinctive, not diluted. So Jesus prays for you and for me before the Father. Lord, protect. Father, protect them. Protect them from the forces and temptations of the evil one. Keep them in me. Keep them faithful. Purify them. Keep them distinctive for me in the world that glory might come to me. We're no longer of the world, says Jesus, any more than he is of the world. Our verse for the year tells us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And Jesus is praying something similar for you and me here. Keep your eyes fixed on me. I'm not going to be with you physically, so it's going to be different. But know this, Christian people, you are a precious gift to me from my Father. You give me glory as you believe in me in the world. I'm praying for you and I long for you to be with me where I am. In the meantime, live distinctive lives. Be shaped by my word. And whatever befalls you in this world, look forward with joy to that time when we will once again be together and see one another face to face. Let's be quiet and reflect on what we've just heard in Jesus' prayer. Perhaps you might want to pick one thing that we've heard this evening and pray it, that it might bear fruit in your heart and mind.